Welcome back to Stage Right. I'm your host, Sierra Haynes. My goal is to bring you along on a journey inside the minds and lives of some of Canada's most exciting playwrights. I've picked five playwrights that I'm curious to speak with, and then those playwrights will get to pick other writers that they want to get curious with. Whatever you're doing, we've got a story for you. This is Stage Right. I'm so excited to share today's conversation with you. It's a two-for-one deal and a heck of a deal at that. I mean, I basically couldn't stop fangirling while I was in this conversation, and I spent many hours editing out my own giggling. (laughs) Their show, The Drowning Girls, is basically the reason I pursued a career in theatre. Since then, I've read and had the pleasure of seeing their work come to life in many different ways. My guests are Beth Graham and Daniela Vascalic. They met as students at the University of Alberta while taking their BFAs in acting. After graduating, they teamed up with Professor Charlie Tomlinson and created The Drowning Girls. They've been writing together since 1999, and their other collaborations include Comrades, The Last Train, A Foolish Boy, Mules, and most recently, Dora Mar, The Wicked One, which received its world premiere this past May at Calgary's High Performance Rodeo. Thankfully, I pulled myself together, and we talked about all things creating a successful, sustained creative collaboration, perseverance, and being grown-ass ladies. Here are some show summaries so that you know what we're talking about. The Drowning Girls. Bessie, Alice, and Margaret have two things in common. They are married to George Joseph Smith, and they are dead. Surfacing from the bathtubs that they were drowned in, the three breathless brides gather evidence against their womanizing, murderous husband by reliving the shocking events leading up to their deaths. Reflecting on the misconceptions of love, married life, and the not-so-happily-ever-after, The Drowning Girls is both a breathtaking fantasia and a social critique, full of rich images, a myriad of characters, and lyrical language. Mules. Holed up in a washroom in Vancouver's International Airport, Cindy and Crystal are fighting for their lives. Crystal has a belly full of heroin and a limited time to get it out of her system, and Cindy is trying to keep her violent, drug-smuggling boyfriend at bay a dark comedy about class, friendship, and drug smuggling. Dora Mar, the Wicked One. Transport yourself back to another time and place. In 1935, the brilliant photographer and artist Dora Mar meets Pablo Picasso at a cafe in Paris. Thus begins a relationship with the most famous artists in the world, a play about love, obsession, and surrealism. Daniela and Beth, thank you so much for joining me on Stage Right today. Hello, my pleasure. Hello, happy to be here. This is so exciting. I've been looking forward to speaking with both of you for so long, even before this project ever happened. Probably this project happened because I wanted to speak to you. (laughs) So this is really exciting for me. (laughs) That's That's great. great. I'm excited too. Yeah, ditto. What was your first experience in a theater? Do you remember? <laughs> um, uh, I think I used to go to my my mom used to take me to storybook theater in Calgary quite a bit, and they it was usually things like Little Red Riding Hood and retelling of those, and I just remember kind of being in awe of it. And then there was another time I think they couldn't find a babysitter, and then they, so they took me to Dracula at a- <laughs> ATP. And I was horrified, horrified, mm. but I loved oh, it. No. <laughs> and how about you, Daniela? Do you oh, have a memory? I'm trying to remember. Um, no, my parents didn't take me to the theater. I, I grew up in Thunder Bay. Um, and I would have to say I didn't really go into a theater until probably high school. Um, and I can't remember. I mean, I did a lot of you know, drama in, in school classes and stuff, but actually Mm -hmm. going to see a show, um, oh my goodness, probably, you know, I can't remember a specific show that I saw, but it probably wasn't until I was maybe in grade 10 or 11. And I think I saw Mm -hmm. something at a college or at a high school. Yeah. So then what made you want to pursue theater? Um, after you finished high school? 
Oh, uh, I don't know. It's a mystery to everyone, including my parents. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just always wanted to be in theater from a very young age. Um, and I'm not quite sure where it, where it came from. It's very odd. But um, yeah, it's just something I knew from a very young age. Well, you've arrived and we're happy to have you. So that's good. How about you, Beth? What made you want to pursue theater? Oh, see, I didn't know that you could pursue it as a... Uh that it could be a pursuit, that it could be something you could do uh, for a living. I mean, whatever mm -hmm. sort of living that is, it varies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't realize you could do that until I went to university and I was taking um, English, BA in English. And I went and I uh, saw the students in the graduating acting class at the U of A. And I was like, what is, you can do this? <laughs> Um, I think just because I came from a family of, you know, lots of farmers and teachers and that sort of thing and didn't really have many artists in my family. So I didn't really know you could until university. And then that's oh, when I pursued it. Yeah. I want to know how you started your collaboration. Where did that begin? Uh, well, we met at theater school. Um, Beth and I were in the same class at the U of A. Uh, we did the conservatory program there, um, which is, was, was at that time a three-year program. And, um, yeah, we met in the same class and we got along and, uh, I guess, and then, I don't know, we, we did a couple of crazy summer, um, retreats, I guess, theater retreats that focused a lot on kind of new work and theater creation. And um, at the time uh, at our theater school at the U of A, there wasn't a lot of new play. There wasn't a lot of focus on new play creation um, until Charlie Tomlinson joined the faculty and he had a long history of new play development with Codco from Newfoundland and Andy Jones and I think he had been brought in to introduce that aspect of of mm. theater to us. Uh, I mean, it was sort of ironic because I think most of our, a lot of our career has been in in new work, um, but that wasn't really the focus of. We were in a conservatory program, and so that wasn't the focus of this of the school at the time. Uh, but we were really interested in it, and there was a lot of cool new work happening in Edmonton at the time, which was very inspiring. And uh, Charlie was quite inspiring. And so we just wanted to dive in and, and we had a good working relationship. So that's what we did. Beth, do you remember anything about the first time you collaborated? Oh, I <laughs> sure do. It was a hilarious whirlwind of chaos and joy and fear. Um, so we were, uh, we just, I think we were a year out of school. And we'd wanted to work together, but we realized there wasn't going to be a lot of a lot of opportunity for that, um, unless we made it happen ourselves. And so we were looking at plays that we would could possibly do, and then we just looked. I, I can't remember whose idea it was, which is often our thing. Whose idea was that? I don't know. But um, <laughs> we uh, looked at each other and thought, let's create something. Um, so we got a spot at the fringe and we enlisted the help of Charlie Tomlinson. Um, and I think we gave ourselves a month, like wow. not knowing, <laughs> not knowing, just like in the, like sort of a beautiful naivete that we had of like, we can do this. <laughs> and then, and we leapt in and we spent, um, we, discovered fairly quickly how much work it took. And so we, uh, out of a bit of like a fire under our butts, um, we lived in that room and just uh, came up with, I don't know, 40 minutes of material. And that was the first uh, sort of rendition of, of The Drowning Girls. Wow, what a fast... Oh, fast and furious time. <laughs> it was wild. And we actually started with the image of the bathtub, two women in the bathtub. 
And then mm. um, Daniela discovered the Scotland Yard case. And that's when we, when it started to j- Oh, so gel. they didn't, they didn't start to get, so you had a bathtub first and then it, that came. Yeah. yeah. So we, Whoa. we were in this room with water, freezing our <laughs> butts off. And, um, and then we found the story and that's when it started to take shape. Thank goodness, because pre- the pressure was on. A lot of the exploration in the room was, uh, was we were, I think we were just, we were young and we were trying to figure out what we had to say. I mean, we didn't, we started a collaboration and we didn't really have, um, we didn't know, I guess, what we wanted to write about. I mean, we knew we wanted to write about our, the world and how we felt about being in the world. That was definitely part of it. And so we explored a lot of the themes that you would explore as a young woman when you're 25 or 26 and figuring out what our voices and what we had to say. And a lot of the things that we ended up discovering about, ironically, about the Scotland Yard case, and I think why the play still resonates today is that a lot of what these young women were dealing with at that time and what we deal with today are not that different. Hmm. I find that fascinating that the the image came before the whole situation almost. Yeah. Isn't that interesting when um, it seems like something has your back when you're creating and then all the pieces come together? Yeah, the world kind of conspires for you. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the Drowning Girls was, I, I got a ticket. I was in grade 11. So a, an artist in the community just kind of gave me a ticket her sister Judy Wenzel was performing in it and and I went to see this show and I was so blown away like there was plumbing there was water coming from the ceiling there, <laughs> it was so theatrical and the movement and um it was very rhythmic and musical in its own way without necessarily being a song but it was just it just totally took me took me by surprise and I think really affected the way that I looked at theater after that experience and I know that speaking with many of my other friends who got to see that show or have seen the show we all feel the same way and it's been such an inspiration to all of us and just thank you for that piece because it was it was the show that I think made me go I think I'm gonna do theater I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go and like actually do theater maybe forever <laughs> oh wow that so, is the highest yeah, compliment it was wow. great. it was a big deal for me yeah thank you for thank you for that piece do you usually perform in your new works first uh yes typically and how does that how does that feel um it's uh it's part of the creative process almost um I, well, when we work together, um, because it's mm-hmm. um, it changes a lot. We learn a lot about what the play is in rehearsal, which we could. I think we could do if other people were performing it, but it's different. It's a different energy, and because you're inside of it, and you have to sort of activate your your brain, your other brain, and so sometimes when you're inside it, something that you even if you've read it you know, a million times and you're like, oh, this works. And then you're up on your feet and you're doing it and you're like, this does not work. I don't know how uh, we thought that we could, that this would work. It's too difficult or convoluted or too many shifts um, Mm -hmm. or it's um, too wordy. You know, there's just things that you you discover when you're actually moving it around as opposed to just sitting it and, and reading it. I like that perspective. I have a really hard time performing my own words. So I like I like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, you do have to shift to a different brain. I think there is like an mm-hmm. actor and a writer brain. And initially, I feel like uh, sometimes Daniela and I live in that two brain world, which can be kind of tricky. Um, but it is, yeah, it's working it out. There's something different that happens when you get it up on its feet. And sometimes that's rhythmically or, um, as Daniela was saying, it's like, I don't, it's often about cutting things, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you have to add, you're like, oh, we don't have that detail. How do I 
get from this Mm -hmm. point to this point. But yeah, you get inside that actor brain that's kind of a bit more tunnel vision, it feels like. And then you really get into the like nitty gritty of um, each word. I wonder if collaboration helps that, Mm -hmm. like helps you um, kind of uh, take away that attachment a little bit or judgment. It's a little, yeah, yeah. it feels like it lessens it when you're collaborating. Um, because you've come up with the idea to, it's like a shared idea or a shared, shared writing. So it feels like sometimes you can be like, I don't know There's who's writing room. this is. Yeah. Right. There's more room to just let it be what it is. Cause you don't, necessarily own it so much agreed and you have someone giving you an opinion all the time yeah yeah okay. i would say so i mean we've never we don't direct our own work um I'm, I'm i'm not interested in that and i don't i don't i don't think beth has been either um but i like i really like having that other third eye um in the room quite a bit mm-hmm and then how does it feel to give away your words to new actors when the production moves on? Super exciting. Yeah, um, that's that's a great moment, um, actually, because I think part of performing it, too, is you've sort of, you've exhausted it, you've exercised it, you've done everything you want to do with it. And then when you give it away, it's just joyful, really, to get to see other people have the experience of living it so it's yeah it's I don't watch shows that we've performed we get asked this a lot and they're like oh is it weird to see someone else doing it it's like no it's it's amazing (laughs) do people ever say things in ways or have different interpretations that you never would have guessed do you have that happen to you sometimes like occasionally there has been um but uh, I don't know it's almost like once you once you get in that bathtub, at least with the drowning girls and that bathtub full of water, it's, I guess anything can happen and anything and everything does. And so we accepted that when we were in it. So when we see it, it's like, yep, anything can happen. This is interesting. This is an interesting choice. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, the last time, the last few times I've seen the drowning girls and I've talked to Daniela and Charlie about this, it's been it's been this experience of who who wrote this a different per I was a different person when I wrote this and I guess it's like that every time but because there's the most distance between that play and me I feel like I feel it most profoundly when I'm watching the drowning girls it's like oh I I can't identify like who who wrote this I remember kind of events around the creation of it but yeah, it feels like it's someone else's play. It's really interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything on that, Daniela? Yeah, I th- or you just agree. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, it's almost. Yeah, I think I, I would agree. You, you realize uh, it brings back um, like watching it is a weird experience because you're also. I feel like I'm also I'm watching the show. This happened with Mules that recently had a production in Toronto as well. And I'm watching it and I remember doing it and I remember writing it, but it seems like it was somebody else a very long time ago. And and part of the watching it is remembering, oh yeah, where was I in my life at that time? And what was going on? Mm. And what were we dealing with? And, and, oh, this was born of that. And now these people are doing it. So it's, yeah, it's a really cool experience. Yeah. And sometimes you feel things in your body, like you remember, oh yeah, I remember, I remember this part when Daniela was like dragging me across the floor or whatever, right? Like sometimes you, oh, and they're, they're always going to do it differently and their chemistry between actors is always going to be different. So I guess because there's that, um, it's easier to give away. Like they're not trying to recreate what we did. They're trying to take ownership of it themselves. So when that happens, it's like, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's like a completely new version. Yeah. What have you learned about collaboration since you started working together? Um, That's a question. I think, I mean, I think the big one that why it worked for us is 
uh, just saying yes, I think, is the big one. You just agree and and trust. I mean, the thing I've learned is you can't collaborate with someone that you don't respect as an artist and uh, really um, believe uh, in their voice and in their work um, because you have to be offering ideas all the time that might be terrible, but it doesn't matter because you're in a trusted environment <laughs> and you might be yeah. offered ideas that you think are terrible or not terrible, but you just don't agree with in the moment. But you uh, are sometimes like, oh, I thought that was not a very good idea. I was completely wrong because now we've done it five times and this is actually my favorite moment of the play. <laughs> Um, so a lot of it is about just giving over and trusting. And I, I don't know, I mean, people talk a lot about, you know, oh, I want to collaborate with someone, but it's so hard or it didn't work. Or I think you have to be very, very, um, open and careful about who it is that you collaborate with. Cause it has to be someone that you, uh, trust, respect, think is incredibly talented. Um, and they have, I think have to feel the same about you so you can have an open and even dialogue. Mm. Yeah, I think respect is a huge one. And also um, trying everything, which I guess is similar to saying yes, but we still like, we'll, we'll still express our doubts about an idea, whether this is going to work or not. But we don't usually say no. It's very rare that we do say that. Um, we usually say, let's try it. Which I, which is similar to saying, which is the same thing as saying yes, I guess. Yeah. It's like, so we'll chase it down and we'll chase it down a path. And sometimes we'll, we'll, you know, it usually reveals itself, whether it's working or not. Do it for the thrill of it. Yeah. Just to see if it works. Yeah. <laughs> and often what you think is your bad, is a bad idea. The other person at least doesn't think it's as bad as you think it yeah. is. Right. It's like, well, yeah. we don't have anything else or. It's better than what I was trying to think of. Let's let's just try it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's um, that's so true. And I think what Beth says is right. It does reveal itself because you're going to go through so many drafts. You're going to try it so many times in so many ways. And at the end of the day, if it sticks out, it'll be like, ah, no, you know what? We've tried it and tried it, and it still feels weird, or it doesn't work, or this is actually mm -hmm. what it is. <laughs> is there something that you always? artistically agree on or disagree on is there a a thing that comes up like that ever in your work or is every show very 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 different in, in how you attack it and it's just a new beast every time uh, every show is different yeah. and the attack is always from like many different angles um but yeah I think it's just I guess agreeing on keeping the dialogue going between mm. the two of us. Um, so even if we are like debating over something, we just keep the dialogue going. Um, we also agree on eating at regular intervals. <laughs> <laughs> That's important to us. Yes. And, you know, taking the occasional walk or break or glass of wine. We, that's important. Yeah, I think that's, great. that's very true. We can go down a rabbit hole, especially in a in a rewrite. Uh, we can go down a rabbit hole and like hours just disappear. And then we start to get like a little bit cranky with each other. And it's like, oh, maybe because we haven't eaten in five hours. Oh, right. Maybe we should eat something, you know. So it's it's um, yeah, it's, it's just happens sometimes. Yeah. So for anyone listening, <laughs> taking appropriate breaks. Yes. <laughs> Recognize the warning signs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. What's your favorite thing about writing as a team? There's a lot of laughing. <laughs> I was going to say, they laugh a lot. The jokes fly. Yeah, there's a lot of laughing. There's a lot of, um, yeah, I think that would be the big one. Uh, we don't take it. There's some obviously hard days where things are just not coming. Um, but for the most part, we always have some good laughs. 
Yeah. And it instills a kind of confidence when you are working with someone else so that when you do have those doubts together and you work through it, um, you've kind of been able to wrestle with that demon with someone else too, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. Yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. All right. Compliment hour. What do you really like about each other's artistic practice? Go. Daniela is committed. She goes for it. Like if you're like as a playwright, like, okay, maybe in this, in the last project we've worked on, I've really realized this the most because I've been outside of it a little bit more or yeah, just in a different way. And it's like, okay, this woman goes for it and she pursues the idea and really, you know, like does everything to make it work. And I super respect that there's like the judgment gets put to the side, you know, and she just goes for it. Um, Love that. Love that. Um, I think uh, one of my favorite things I mean, there's many things I could say about Beth, but my favorite thing is that she has so many ideas. Um, and um, it's just awesome. Like in every stage of the process, there's never, um, there's lots of times where I just get frustrated or grumpy and I'm like, I don't want to write this scene. This is not, this is a dumb scene. Like this is like, and she's just like, no, we're going to do it. It's going to be fine. And she's so positive about it. And then of course it ends up being like a really great, excellent scene and really fun. And I'm really glad that we worked on it, but yeah, she's very tenacious and has lots of ideas and there's never a moment where she, she does not give up. Like, and so it's, it's pretty, it's excellent. Cause I think, Sometimes, you know, on my own, I'd be like, oh, I'm not doing this. It's not worth it. And then uh, her voice is like, no, I think let's just try. And what about this? 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 And it's like, she wears me down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wear myself down too. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's great. It's awesome. It's just like, and then it ends up being, of course, worth it. And, and so it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. I think we spell each other off in that realm too. We've often joked about it. It's like, okay, now it's my turn to be grumpy and you have to cheer me up. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you. And we often do. It's a funny dynamic of like, oh, okay, it's time for me to step up my game here. Okay, now it's time for the other person to take over. You know, like we do do that for each other. Yeah. That's lovely. I'm so glad you have each other. <laughs> so am I. Me too. <laughs> there we Oh, wow. Look at these warm fuzzies going around. So how do you choose projects? You kind of talked about how you don't really know how it seems to be someone's idea and then it just happens. But is there is there a... a specific path you try to go down when you pick? Yeah, like sometimes I can remember where the initial idea came from and it's kind of been like back and forth. Um, but often like one of us will get that hunch, you know, that kind of stays with you. Like we'll read a newspaper article or like uh, the Drowning Girls when Daniela brought in the Scotland Yard case and we were all just like, oh, right? So then that, because that idea just merged with the other idea. So I think it's just about like discerning what we're both really excited in into writing so that we're both inspired by it. That seems to be the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you, we, I think we know now, we didn't at the time, that you, you're going to end up living with it for a very long time. And so it has to sustain you if you get bored of the subject matter or the characters or the story then it's not going to sustain the million rewrites and the the whole process mm -hmm. so you both work under the umbrella of bent out of shape productions is that right i'm curious i'm just going off what i can find on the internet <laughs> the internet may be wrong that's why i'm asking it was right for a time 
Yeah, we, we did form uh, that, uh, we worked under that name uh, for a while and, and mostly it was our touring name because we, we did a long, we toured the Drowning Girls for almost three years and now we're operating under Gal Productions. That's our newest, um, I don't know. Acronym, it's an acronym for Grown Ass Ladies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> So that's our newest um, produ- producing name, and that uh, we created that for Dora Mar. Oh, right. Because I think the reason that I asked about it was I saw the like sort of mission statement for Bent Out of Shape, and it was looking at um, examples of oppression in history. And I noticed that a lot of your work does involve some sort of historical fiction uh, a lot of the time. But then a show like Mules was just so different. Mm-hmm from that and i was wondering how how you picked a show like mules how you wrote that well that came from a time when mm-hmm. we were um we were seeing a lot of angry young men plays and they were pre- some often all male um and they were really fun to watch uh these super angry like wild characters um and we decided that we wanted to do something like that and why weren't there more shows for uh women to get down and get dirty i guess um so that was kind of our challenge to ourselves in that one yeah 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 i think that um you know it was, we were, well, certainly we were finding that, you know, not that there aren't great roles for women, but they're also sort of always falling into that. They're mothers or they're innocent or women can only behave a certain way on stage. And I mean, this has changed so much since, of course, we wrote Mules, which was in, I guess, 2006 now. But, um, you know, it was, there were, there weren't a lot of plays where women could be ugly, where they could be bad. Um, and when we were developing the show, we talked to some dramaturgs and who looked at it and they kept trying to, they kept trying to make the, the female (laughs) characters, um, redeemable and trying to make them, um, you know, likable, likable. And it was like, well, we don't, why do they need to be like, everyone can be, um, has the capacity to be selfish, has the capacity to be cruel and, um, and what, you know, what motivates those characters and why would they behave that way? And so it was a lot of fun to get to write these women, you know, desperate, fierce, um, not always making the right decisions that are selfish, that can be cruel and, and, you know, why can't we do that? And it's, it's, uh, it was, it was really fun to do. And, uh, it's, it's fun to see, and it can be dirty and can be gross. Like people are still, we found even with the meals production in, in Toronto, people are still uncomfortable with women being gross on stage. They're still, unco- that's still not okay. Well, it kind of answers my question that I had. I was thinking, geez, this play ends in such a dark place I'm I'm a very optimistic person who likes like I wouldn't say butterflies and rainbows all the time but like (laughs) it was it ends so dark and I feel like there's a lot of comedy in the front half that kind of um you know eases you in and then it just like the whole world like falls apart so did you always know that you wanted the show to get there or did it reveal itself to you when you were writing it? I think it revealed itself. Daniela, do you remember? Yeah, we didn't know what the ending I think was going to be. We don't, we typically don't. We sort of start writing. We don't outline the play. You know, we don't create a beginning, middle, end. We just sort of start writing with the characters in mind and see where where it takes us. I mean, the fun thing about that is a lot of the characters that we talk about in that play are based on people from our lives. Um, so I would say that that's the one play where we've drawn the most from our own personal experiences, oddly enough. A lot of the people that we talk about in the play are people that we've drawn from from our own high schools or adult, early adult life. And what made you want to explore drug smuggling? There was a, a newspaper article that Daniela found 
uh, we read about it. And I guess maybe it's because a lot of those angry young men plays were about drug deals gone bad or, you know, so that might have influenced us too. I think also it was a thing that a lot, mostly young women do. Um, and, uh, most of them that do, 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 do it, uh, are doing it out of desperation or they've been coerced into doing it. And, uh, as we researched it, you realize how, how much it happens and how much it still happens and, um, the risks of it. And there aren't a lot of, it's not a lot of young men doing it. It's women and children that are doing it, Hmm. um, Mm -hmm. typically. And so I think once we found that, we started exploring, you know, why, what would make you do this? I think that was a question we asked each other. Why would you, would you ever consider doing this? And what, what would it, what would it have to be to make you actually attempt this? Um, what's your process like when you're writing? Do you have like sticky notes or cards and you put everything up and you come up with an order or is it like organic? Like, do you have like a, you know, a structure, anything like that when you're, when you're writing together? It's moment to moment. I feel like how we write. Um, it's often about the characters starting with, um, thinking about, what the character, what each character is after and the relationship between the two of them. And then really we sit down together and hash it out and it can take, certainly take a while to get started. And sometimes mm-hmm. we'll go off in a number of different, different directions, just trying things out until we get to know the characters a bit and what they're after. Um, sometimes we'll find a story in history. So there'll be a lot of research first um, I'm usually the one that gets, that is like, okay, I can't do any more research. <laughs> That's my impatience. Like, ah, I'm done with our research. Let's just make this up. Um, mm. Daniela, how do you think we start your work? Yeah, it's usually around the character. I think they're mostly, it's often character based. So we'll, we'll sort of talk through the character's journey and, um, or the character's journey if there's more than one. And, uh, and then we don't know, we just sit, we, well, if we're in the same room, we sit next to each other and take turns typing. And if we're not, then we're on zoom and, uh, we should have a shared document and same thing. One person types, um, we go back and forth and the other person. And so we really come up with, with everything together. Um, we often don't know how it's going to end necessarily, or we know, we might know the significant landmarks of what, what we want the character to go through, but how that's going to manifest itself, I don't think we always know that. Mm. Okay. I'd love to turn and take a closer look at The Drowning Girls for a few minutes. Um, so you originally performed this show at the Edmonton Fringe in 1999, right? Yes. And then you took eight years away, and then you came back. What made you want to come back to the show? Well, it it came out of we did a another um, iteration of it after right after the fringe. We went to on the waterfront festival in Dartmouth, and as we were um, kind of teching a moment between the two women, uh, where they're talking about a third character, we started thinking we're like, oh we need this third character to come in. Um, And I think it was Charlie that said three is kind of a number that makes him a serial killer. Uh, George Joseph Smith, who the play was, the Scotland Yard case that the play was based on. Um, And then once we got into that thinking of three voices, we just uh, felt like we wanted to do a rewrite and revisit it. And then we got the opportunity years later but we thought about it for a long time. Mm. Yeah, when we originally did it, it was only Beth and I performed it. So we only talked about the third woman. There was only two, it was only a two-hander. And then when we okay. went back and and um, rewrote it, we wrote it with a third actor, third character in mind. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really, really hard sometimes, or it was at the time, to elevate a show from a fringe show into 
a production that somebody wants to do, um, like another theater. Because uh, at the Fringe, you produce it yourself. You do all the work yourself. Yeah. Um, as you know, and it's it's really challenging to then get someone to to take a chance on uh, on a show. So we had intended to do it ourselves. We wrote a, a ton of grants. We did the rewrites ourselves. Um, so it took a really long time. Uh, we probably took, you know, just three years doing that, getting the money together. Um, and during that, for a couple of years during that time, you know, we talked to other theaters, we tried to pitch it, we tried to get somebody to, who was willing to take it on board. And, and um, that was really, you know, most people said no. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so it wasn't until um, ATP had a second stage at their Playwrights Festival, which they don't have anymore, for the more experimental work. And we were just fortunate that Vanessa Porches, who was um, an associate there at the time, she eventually became the AD, had seen the Fringe production. Um, and she had loved it and had convinced Bob White at ATP or he, he liked the, the draft that we had. So, but it, I mean, it, it, this is the kind of pro process that you go through mm -hmm. to try and get someone to do your show that had been a successful fringe show that you've rewritten. It's just, it's such a long process. I mean, we didn't, we didn't really touch it for a few years, but once we got this idea, it probably took five years just to get right it in the shape that we wanted to get somebody on board and we got we actually did get end up getting some grant money which meant we were able to then buy the production or the production elements that then allowed us to go on tour so it was such a convoluted and long process <laughs> so this the message here is don't give up if you have a show that you really want to <laughs> yeah. put on stage you just keep working at it and it will eventually happen <laughs> yeah it really was uh, tenacity and just knowing just that hunch, that feeling, okay, we have something here and we just, um, need someone else to understand that. And I mean, there's so much about the play that's like more than the page, especially in that one, like with the water and the bathtubs and, um, it's, a it just, in my, in my mind kind of lifts it to a different um, level design wise anyway. So there's kind of that element. It was hard to describe to people too, that, that there's so much visual storytelling that happens, you know, with the water mm -hmm. and what the water brings and the water is really another character. And it, it's, um, I mean, people understand it now, but at the time, I'm sure you can imagine when no one had seen it, didn't know what we were uh. talking about. <laughs> what do you mean water's going to come down from the ceiling? And, um, you know, that's also, we, we had great designers too, who were imaginative and wanted to create that world, but it was very, very challenging to get people on board. And then as I was trying to read and understand the life of the show, did the show go up at the same venue in the fringe as it did when it hit the main stage? Is that true? Oh, I guess in Edmonton it did. Yeah. yeah, it was at Catalyst Theatre in Edmonton, and then um, we had a premiere at Alberta Theatre Projects, and then we took that Alberta Theatre Projects production to to Edmonton and did it in the same okay. venue. Oh, actually, that's in the... Oh, and then we did it again in Edmonton years later at the Citadel mm -hmm. in the okay. in their smaller stage. So it's had a couple of iterations in Edmonton. Was it interesting or kind of full circle to see the, to feel the memories of the old show and then see the new show up in the same space? Yeah. Is it sentimental at all? A, a bit. It was really different because there were three of us um, mm -hmm. and a very different design, uh, but it was still, yeah, it still lived in that space in a similar way. Yeah. Okay. Neat. Yeah. All right. I would love to talk about Dora Mar sure. for the last bit of this conversation because it's your newest work. Yeah. Um, how was the process different writing a one-woman show? Was it different? Not until we got to rehearsal. Um, okay. I feel like the creation was still really the same. Do you agree, Daniela? I would agree, yeah. I think the creation was, was very much the same. 
the process was the same. Um, it was, yeah. I mean, it was, we, you know, she's very much the, her voice is our combined voice. And, uh, yeah, I would say until we got into rehearsal, it was, it was very similar. Okay. And you both work together writing scenes. You don't give a scene to someone and someone, you no, know, you work together the whole time. Yeah, whole time. Yeah. So how'd you hear about Dora? She actually appeared in an earlier play that we wrote. So we wrote a play called The Last Train, which is was about art deemed degenerate by the Nazis in World War II. And it was five paintings? Yeah, it was five yeah, women. Yeah, it was yeah. five women that the, the paintings basically came alive. Um, and Dora Maar was one of those paintings. And we were like, oh, we're not finished with this woman. <laughs> she still has a lot to say. And then we were looking at her in kind of a later period in her life or just just examining that period in her life with Picasso a little bit more um, in depth. And we were um, drawn to it, yeah. And how did the... Icarus myth end up in the show? We read a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot written now uh, and then about Dora Maar. Um, she's had a resurgence uh, really just recently in, in 2019. The Tate Modern did uh, a retrospective of her work and of her life and, and uh, which we didn't know, which we knew was happening, but we'd already sort of, we'd already started working on this play. So it was just, you know, kismet or whatever. <laughs> um, and, uh, so some of the writing, um, she was often compared, not often, but in, I think it was one article where she had been compared to, to Icarus. And we just thought that that was such an interesting, it was just like one line in a newspaper article, maybe the guardian or something. I don't know, Beth, if you remember the article, but, I don't remember. um, and it was such an interesting thought. And so we, we kind of went back and we read the myth and it seemed to really reflect on her on her life, and it made sense to to bring it in. Yeah, and it was a way of, of talking about it metaphorically and mm -hmm. not as directly. So it kind of once we got into it, we're like, oh, this is giving it a bit more of a poetic quality that we liked mm -hmm. quite a bit once we started exploring the myth in within her story. I also really enjoyed your use of the Minotaur myth and the and the labyrinth inside the mental hospital. I thought that was just a really nice moment. I'm excited for audiences to be able to see it. Uh, one last question about this show, The Sound of Electricity. Did that, how was that discovered? Because it's like the charge of romance and then also, you know, the visceral feeling of having your brain shocked. So how, how did that come together? Do you remember the discovery moment? Ooh. We kind of had that from the early stages because that was one of the questions that we had in regards to Dora was, oh, how did this woman who was an artist in her own right, who was so full of confidence, how did it, she end up uh, receiving treatment in a mental hospital? How did how did this happen to this woman? How did she get from point A to point B? And um, so the electric sh electroshock therapy, spoiler alert, um, was just a big question for us because I think it elicited an emotional response for both Daniela and I of, oh, gosh, okay, how does this happen? And I think how could that this that, happened yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that electric, this, that sound of the electric current, I think can be so many different things, um, that you don't, I don't know if you necessarily associate what that is throughout the show. And we have an amazing sound designer, uh, Peter Mahler, who, um, you know, obviously sound will be an important part of the show and, and will create, um, all that under, I guess, undercurrent <laughs> of what's happening to her and where, where we're going. Well, all the best with this show. Okay. I'm so excited for people to take it in. And it seems like you're ready to go. You're ready. To, you're ready to let people see it. So. Yes, we so are dying. after the last, yeah, two years, <laughs> two and a half. We've been working on it. We, I mean, we started working on this play pre-COVID. 
Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, this is no, you know, not a, a play born of COVID, but it's certainly, um, I guess, COVID afforded us the opportunity to get to spend more time together working on it uh, and writing it. And so, yeah. And it we'll really see. feels like we're ready. We're ready. We can't wait to mm-hmm. share it with people, right? It's got that feeling of like, okay, we need this ingredient now. <laughs> Okay, so we're almost at the end of this amazing chat, but I just have a few fun questions um, that I'd love to ask you. So what brings you joy? Mm. Oh, anything that'll make me laugh. Like, well, I have two dogs. They bring me uh, a heck of a lot of joy and pain, but mostly joy. They're really cute and fun and zany. What are their names? Lily is the chihuahua that we acquired in the last couple of years, and Oscar, who is the Pomeranian, who we've had for a long time. All right, Daniela, what brings you joy? Oh, um, I think being able to gather, you know, with uh, friends and and family in a room, um, and whether that's, and, and colleagues, so whether it's in a rehearsal hall or it's around a big dinner table or it's uh on a great patio I think that's probably you know when I can be hanging out with like you know creative people and just enjoying our each other's company I think that really is is when I'm feeling the best okay and then here's another fun one what's the best piece of advice you've ever received it doesn't need to be related to theater or writing just a piece of advice that you have carried with you breathe Mm. that's a good one though (laughs) sometimes you have to remind yourself to breathe all the time (laughs) like oh i forgot to breathe just take a step back and breathe (laughs) you don't know uh unless you ask that's so true absolutely okay Thank you both so much for sitting down and chatting with me. I'm so excited to share this conversation and put it together. I think so many people are going to love hearing about your collaboration. So it was amazing. Thank Thank you, you, Sierra. It was great to talk to you. It's so nice to get to talk about our our work with someone who's experienced some of it. And I'm I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that it inspired you. It's awesome. Have a good one. We'll talk again soon. (laughs) Okay, take care. Today's show, I sat down with playwrights Beth Graham and Daniela Vlaskalik. We discussed their shows, The Drowning Girls, Mules, and Dora Mara the Wicked One. If you're interested in reading their work, you can find their writing online for purchase through Playwrights Canada Press and Canadian Play Outlet. Stage Write is brought to you by the Globe Theatre in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada Council for the Arts, my associate producers Tanner Zare and Riley Hardwick, who wrote all of our awesome music for this podcast, Chris Haynes, our sound engineer, and me, your host, Sierra Haynes. If you want to keep up with our theater online, find us on Instagram at Globe Theater Live. And if you want to see what I'm up to, you can check me out online at The Sinking Canoe. Thanks for listening, and please exit stage right. <laughs> <laughs>